Very special thank you to the Greenwald family for sponsoring this evening's shir. And they are doing so as a schus for Erefua Shalema for Yonatan Daniel Bentova. He is struggling right now with the COVID-19 virus. And we daven that through our learning together and through all of the, the merits of the family and their continued growth, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should grant Yonatan Daniel Bentova Erefua Shalema Bekorov Mamish. Special thank you as well to Isaac Romano, always taking care of all of the technical issues, and we appreciate that very much. And as always, a very special thank you to Torah Anytime, sharing this particular shear and many others with people around the world. <clears throat> I'd like to briefly discuss tonight the Simcha of Lagva Omer. It's coming upon us in a few days. Haba Leinu Latova, we look forward to that celebration. Like to explore what exactly it is we're celebrating. And I'd also like to explore together something that we, we hear a lot in the world of psychology the idea of not being a victim. This is a mantra that resonates with all of us, but I'd like to really delve into what that means and try to view it from a Torah perspective and how we could be careful, or we should be careful in not creating victims, and then on the other side of the coin, how do we react, how do we respond when we are the victim? We have at the end of the Parsha a very mysterious story. The Yetzeh ben Isha Yisraelis, we know this man goes out, he's the son of a Jewish mother and a non-Jewish father, an Egyptian father. And we don't know much about him, at least from the psukim themselves. And he gets into a fight. He gets into a machlokis. Vayikov ben ha'isha Yisraelis es Hashem. So this person, he gets so frustrated, so angry, v'yikalel, that he pronounces the name of Hashem and he curses God. He's in violation of blasphemy. They bring him to Moshe Rabbeinu, and obviously, as we see from the subsequent psukim, it is dealt with in a very harsh, very severe way. Who was this young man? Vayetzeh ben Isha Yisraelis. So Rashi first tells us that he didn't just go out and get into a fight, but he was also making fun of the Mishkan. He was mocking the, the Lechem HaPanim. In the previous uh, paragraph, Torah was teaching us about the lechem upon him. And we know that the bread was baked on Friday, the Gemara Menachos tells us, and it was left there for two Shabbosim, and then it was consumed about nine days later. So this person was saying, why in the world, if we're supposed to be celebrating in the holiest place in the world, are we going to eat the stale bread, nine days old? That doesn't make any sense. This is not royalty. This is not what, what nobility is, is uh, supposed to be. What does it mean, v'yetzeh? What's the Torah telling us that he went out? Where did he go out from right prior to getting into this fight and cursing God? So Rashi quotes the opinion that mi base dino shel Moshe yatza. He left the base din of Moshe. He was in the court of Moshe Rabbeinu. And he came out chayiv. He came out guilty. What exactly was the scenario? So he wanted to pitch his tent in the tribe of Don. And uh, the people there asked him the question, Ma What are you doing here? What's your connection to our territory? You don't belong here. So he said back, trying to defend himself, I'm, I'm one of you guys. I'm from Don. Because his mother was from that shevet. So Amrilo, they said to him, I'm sorry, but don't you know the Pasik? Ishal Diglo, Baosos Lebesavosam. Your tribal association is based on your father, not your mother. Who was your father again? Oh, I forgot. He was an Egyptian. And that means you have no share in our portion over here. You have no place in our territory. And he was trying to fight for his rights. He wanted a place to live, he wanted to be accepted. He went to the Beistin Shel Moshe, and Moshe ruled, 
in the favor of B'nai Dan. And he said, I'm sorry, but what they're saying is correct. Their argument is valid. Rashi goes on to explain, and now we learn more about the background of this person, that Shinnis Ga'er, this person was a ger. He converted prior to this whole experience. Now it's not so clear what it means to be Megayer. If he was born from a Jewish mother, although his father was Egyptian, that means by definition he was Jewish. So the Ramban says potentially it means that obviously he was always Jewish, but he was part of Kalal Yisrael during the, uh, the bris and the mikvah that took place before receiving the Torah. He was together as Klal Yisrael, doing all of the requirements, being part of the covenant, covenant to receive the Torah. The Ramban says, maybe Rashi also means that because this whole discussion takes place, or at least he was born before Matan Torah, before the giving of the Torah, the halacha of matrilineal descent was not yet instituted. So maybe indeed he wasn't Jewish because his father was not Jewish. And that's why he had to convert. But either way, from these Rashis, we see an amazing insight into the background and the education of this particular young man who was so frustrated, he turned towards heaven and he cursed the Boreolum. He came from a very, very traumatic childhood. We know also that this Egyptian father of his was not just married to his mother, but he attacked her. And it was only through violating his mother that he was born, he was conceived. His Egyptian father was eventually killed by Moshe Rabbeinu. When we learn about in the beginning of Shmos, that Moshe kills the Mitzri, who was that Egyptian man? That Egyptian man was the father of this person right here. He's trying his whole life just to be accepted. He's courageously fighting. He just wants to be part of Kalal Yisrael. He was Megayer, whether or not that means literally, but it's clear he wanted to be viewed as one of the boys, one of everybody else. And he wanted a place to call home. That's why he went to Shevet Don. He wanted to go to the people. The only connection he had was through his mother's side. She came from that particular Shevet. I want to be with you. This is my place. And they rejected him. They said, I'm sorry, halachically speaking, technically speaking, you don't belong here because your father wasn't Jewish. I'm sorry. Hatzlacha. Good luck. And then he goes to Moshe Rabbeinu trying to fight for justice. And the halacha was, disappointingly, that he had no argument. Once we have the entire background of the story, it's not at all surprising that this young man would feel resentful. He would have anger. For him to get into a fight now would only be the natural conclusion. Picture yourself in his shoes. You're a victim. You were born into a circumstance beyond your control where you're not being accepted. People are not looking at you as a peer. You're not an equal. You're not wanted here. And there's no place you could call home. And then you go to the highest authority, the holiest person representing God, and he poskins against you. He says, I'm sorry. I can't make them take you in. Would it be a nice thing for them to do? Of course it would. If they were menschlich, if they were balei chesed, would they invite you into their territory? Of course they would. But they're not obligated to do so. Then you walk out of Beistin, and everyone in the world is against you, or at least that's how it seems in your own perception. Of course you're going to get mad. And of course you're going to get into a machlokis, because no one's there with you. You are a victim. And then for you to take that next step and feel that you have to curse God, chas v'shalom, it's quite understandable. We see here the incredible power of rejection. You could take a normal person, and if you make them feel that they're not wanted, that they're not accepted, that they don't belong, then you transform that normal, sane person into someone who's living with rage, 
into someone who's willing to throw away his life in this world and the next world because no one's on my side. That's the power of rejection. If you were to think of the greatest Ra, the most substantial evil that exists in the world, the name that comes to mind is Amalek. Amalek is the Shorish Hara, the source of all evil. Where did Amalek come from? So the Torah tells us that Achos Lotan Tibna, that Lotan, who was one of the Alufei Esav, one of the, uh, the generals, his sister's name was Timna. And uh, why do we care about his sister, what her name was? The Gemara and Sanhedrin says that Timna Bas Melachim, that Timna herself, coming from royalty, she was a princess. And she wanted nothing more in the world than to be able to convert and to go into the family of Avram Avinu. She saw something there that resonated with her. She felt the emes and she wanted to pursue it. So the Gemara says that she went to Avram Avinu and he wouldn't accept her. She went to Yitzchak Avinu and he wouldn't accept her. She went to Yaakov. None of the Avos were willing to allow her to be Megayer, to convert to Judaism. So she said, I'd rather leave all of my royalty behind, I'd rather leave all of my glitz and glamour, and try to at least join the house of Avram by marrying Esau. And that's what she did. She didn't marry Esau himself, but Eliphaz, the son of Esau, she became the Pelegish, the concubine of Eliphaz. At least this way she felt she could be part of the broader family of Avram Avinu. Gemara concludes, Nafka mina amalek. What came out from that union between Eliphaz and Timna? A cute little baby boy. And his name was Amalek. Did Sarinahu Yisrael, that was the source of so much torture and suffering and agmas nefesh for Klal Yisrael for thousands of years? Where did that come from? My time The Gemara says, How did this possibly happen? How do you have the creation of a human being, a Molek, who is now the progenitor of such evil in the world, of such callousness? Because Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov should not have pushed her away. They should not have rejected Timna. And because they did, because of those feelings of not being accepted, of not being included into Klal Yisrael, she went in a very different direction. It was the richuk, it was the distancing of a human being that caused the greatest devastation all throughout history. All of the calamities that were caused by Amalek go back to this one moment in time of a young lady named Timna not being allowed to enter Klal Yisrael. That's the power, that's the force of rejection. Now, if you were to ask, why in the world would Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov not accept her with open arms? That was Avram's whole mission in life. Avram, Megayer, Eshanashim. Sarah, Megayer, Eshanashim. He was there to convert the world. He was there to share the truth of God with humanity. And now you have someone who's coming to you based on their own volition, their, their own inspiration, and you're going to push them away? Why would you do that? This is your whole mission in life. So explains Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, clearly Avram saw something that he was very concerned about. Yitzchak and Yaakov also saw something that made them very nervous, that they came to the conclusion, it's probably not a good idea to let you in. They probably saw some of the seeds of evil that were planted within her. They probably picked up on some of the qualities that could eventually or potentially turn into an Esau, turn into a Molech. And that's why they said, we want to help the world as much as possible, and we want to encourage people to join Kalal Yisrael, but we don't feel comfortable allowing you in. That was their cheshben, that was their calculation. 
But clearly, says the Gemara, they were wrong. Even when your whole life's mission is to be inclusive and to be all-embracing, sometimes we'll still push people away. We might have good reasons, but sometimes the good reasons may not be good enough reasons. By asking the child to leave the school, he might not be behaving well. But by asking him to leave the yeshiva and potentially risking his spiritual and even his physical existence, that might not be an okay decision. You might have to stand before the Ribbono Shalom and explain how do you take responsibility for this children and all of his descendants no longer being connected to Torah and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Sometimes a school or a Rosh Hashiva, they may have to do that. That might be the call of the hour, that might be the Das Torah. But you're playing with lives. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they were risking a spiritual existence of this human being. They should have invited her in. Now when you look at it from the other point of view, if me as the victim, if I'm feeling unloved, if I'm feeling unwanted, even though you haven't changed my mind philosophically, you haven't, you haven't uh, created any arguments in my head that would now cause me to feel that what you're representing is no longer true, but there's an emotional disconnect. Once I feel separated from you emotionally, I no longer want anything to do with you or what you represent. And that works in the opposite way as well. Chaim Shmulevitz, when he was speaking about his great father-in-law, Rabbi Eliezer Yehuda Finkel, the Shiva of the Mir, he said, one of the greatest qualities of my father-in-law was the fact that he fulfilled the Mishnah in Perkeyavos every single waking hour of his life. The Mishnah says, Ohev es habrios umbakarvam Torah." We have to love humanity and bring them close to Torah. Explains to Chaim Shmulevitz that these are not two separate and distinct ideas. They're not two separate instructions. Love people and also do kiruv, also try to inspire them to come closer to God and Torah. Rather, what the mission is saying, and this is how Reb Lezer Yudel lived his life, is how in the world do you get someone to come closer to Torah? We all have this motivation, we all have this desire, we look around and there are more than 90% of our brothers and sisters who are so incredibly removed and disconnected from the world of Torah, what can we possibly do to bring them back? What can we do to, to make them feel they're, they're part of Klal Yisrael? Oh, hey, The answer is love them. Love them genuinely. Love them selflessly. Let them see that you respect them as human beings. You may not agree with every decision they make. And they may have a different lifestyle that, that I don't agree with. But that doesn't mean I don't love you, that doesn't mean I don't respect you. When you feel the Ava, and you feel the Kavod, then not only do you feel more attached to me, but you can now feel more connected to what I represent. So it works in both directions. If I'm marchik you, if I'm giving you the impression that you're not wanted, you're not accepted, you're not an equal, you don't belong here, then you want nothing to do with me, and you want nothing to do with Torah. If I always let you know that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you say, I don't take it personally, I don't hate you because of it, we could disagree in a very respectful way, but I always love you and I always respect you as a person, that could make the change, that could inspire somebody to come closer to Torah. The power of rejection is so real. We cannot, under any circumstance, make people into victims. We cannot make them feel unwanted. The problem is that it's so easy to be the victim. Right now we're gonna look at it from the other side of the coin. It's so easy to blame others. It is so incredibly difficult to take real responsibility, to take ownership of my life, of my personality, of my challenges, and we find this all around us. 
We have presently thousands and thousands of people who have been suffering, who are suffering from this, this dreadful, horrific virus. And the only thing you'll find on any news outlet is a discussion of who do we blame? How incompetent is the president? How flawed is the system? And there are many issues to bring up. And on both sides of the equation, I'm sure there could be very valid arguments made. Who should we blame? But we're always looking to pin it on somebody. And every administration will say the problems that we're now facing obviously go back to the previous administration. Why do we do that? Why do we blame others? Because it makes life so much easier. We enjoy playing the role of the victim. We don't really enjoy it. It can be torturous and we could be causing ourselves continuous suffering. But it's easier, it's more comfortable to say, it's because the way my Rebbe spoke to me, and the way he treated me, and it's what my mother didn't do, and how she never gave me any sense of, of love, and she didn't validate me, that's why I am the person I am. Now much of that is true. Much of how our teachers and parents and educators and mentors speak to us, that does create our reality as a child, and that does define our identity. We do view ourselves based on the way I've been spoken to, based on my environment. Did you uplift me? Did you allow me to believe in myself? Or did you constantly put me down? Were you always critical? Whatever I did was never good enough. Of course, that has a major impact on how I view myself, how I view the world, and ultimately how I view God. We don't deny that reality. However, we can't continue living blaming others for who we are and what we do. There's a beautiful piece from Rabbi Isaac Sher where he says, if a child grows up in a family where there's love and there's vulnerability and there's openness, obviously that is the most ideal way of educating any child. They grow up with the trust of other people and a reliance on others and an ability to be there for others, to get love, to receive love, and to give love. These are the key ingredients of healthy living. But he goes on to say, if you grew up in an atmosphere where you were lacking those things, you didn't have those blessings, I didn't have a father and mother who spoke to me with respect, and perhaps I was neglected, and my schooling experience in many years of my life it was atrocious. So what do I do now? Writes with Isaac Sher. Loha kol zochu Not everyone is zocha to go through a wonderful, healthy, and productive childhood. And their chinuch may not be a pleasant experience al yedehorim through their parents and through their educators. Imkein. So what do I do now? I have two options. I can now continue the rest of my life with a sense of bitterness, blaming those who have raised me and blaming those who have educated me. Says Rabbi Isaac Sher, that's not the Mahalach. We don't have that as an option. Rather, vada'i mishalolomdu ovivarabo, if I didn't receive the validation or the proper education or the perspective on God and His Torah from my parents or from my Rebbeim, then, then I'm obligated, I have the responsibility. I have to educate myself. I have to pursue it, I have to run after the life of love, the life of truth. I cannot continue feeling a sense of bitterness and blame because that will get me nowhere. So on one hand, we have to be so careful not to create a scenario where it's easy for any human being to feel rejected to become the victim. Because once you put someone there, it's a very difficult nisayon not to live the rest of their life blaming you and not taking responsibility for themselves. On the other side of the coin, when we are that victim, we have to take the responsibility, we have to take 
ownership of our lives. We have to educate ourselves, but we can't stay bitter. One of the great heroes of Tanakh, we read about him in Shavuos. We read a Megillus Rus, in Ritz Hashem, we should be Zoha to read the Megillah in Shul and this Shavuos. And we have the story of Naomi coming home after living in Moab for many years. And after Rus is very pushy and she insists that she goes along with Naomi, she finally accepts her. And she says, that's fine, you'll come home with me, you'll live with me in Eretz Yisrael. As they get back to Eretz Yisrael, the Pasuk says that everyone noticed Naomi. She was in the, uh, the highest echelon of society. She was one of the wealthiest families in Eretz Yisrael before they left during the time of famine. And everyone saw her. She aged. She's wearing tattered clothing. She looks almost like she's homeless. This is Nami? This is the same person that left? She said back to them, I'll take her and the Nami. Please don't call me Nami anymore. Naomi comes from the word pleasant. Don't call me that name. Rather, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Ki heimer shekai li ma'od for Hashem has inflicted upon me bitterness. My name is no longer Nami, it's Mara. And she goes on to say, Ani halachti. I left Eretz Yisrael, Malaya. I was filled with wealth. I had a whole family. I had a husband and, and two children. Vereikam heshivani Hashem, but Hashem has returned me to Eretz Yisrael, Reikam, with absolutely nothing. Lama tikreneli nami, and therefore why do you keep on calling me nami? I'm not pleasant. Vahashem onabi, Hashem has made me suffer. Vishakai heirali. And Hashem has done harm to me. Naomi, we're told, was a tzaddikis. She was a very righteous, a very holy woman. This response to her suffering does not at all seem to be in line with what we would assume a balas bitachon would say. What we would assume a balas bitachon would feel. How do you come back and start complaining? Obviously, you've been through a lot, and we're never going to judge you. We're not in your shoes. But for someone of her stature to be speaking like this is very, very strange. So I guess the question is, if we try not to be the victim, and we try our best not to crumble to circumstance, why didn't Nomi do the exact same thing? It seems like she was crumbling under her own suffering. Every Shabbos morning, we say one of the most beautiful tefillos ever composed. And that's the tefillah of Nishmas. As we read through Nishmas, we say, Baruch Hu, you have redeemed us from the house of slavery. Barav Zantanu, you've sustained us through famine. Ubesava Kilkaltanu. You've given us satiation, you've saved us from sword, umidever milattanu, and from dever and from plague, you've allowed us to survive. And you've allowed us, you've pulled us away from terrible illness. Until now, your Rachamim has been there for our assistance. Your Chesed has never abandoned us. And therefore, we conclude this phrase. Please do not abandon us forever. Don't let us go. We need you in our lives every step of the way. What's troubling when we read Nishmas is on one hand, we, we look back into our miraculous history. And it's true, Mi and it's true, Barav Zantanu. We've been through so much as a nation, so much as Klal Yisrael, 
And a Kaddish Baruch who has saved us. Bechol dor v'dor omdem aleinu l'chaloseinu. Bechadosh Baruch hu matzileinu miyadam. Hashem has saved us from the enemy. Hashem has saved us from plague. But when we think about it personally, when I'm saying these words and I'm thinking about my own life, my own family, my own community, is it really true that Berav Zantanu, Midever Milatanu, Hashem has saved us from Dever? On one hand, you could look at Eretz Yisrael and the Nisim Guluyim that have been taking place, where tragically there have been many of our brothers and sisters who have perished based on, the, based on this plague. But clearly Nisim have happened to save many of them. But we also know firsthand very well people who have suffered, people who have lost, people who are suffering right now. The shear is in the schus of Rafua Shalema for Yonatan Daniel Bentova, who's presently suffering. Hashem should bring him a Rafua. How can we say unequivocally that Hashem has always been there for us in every stage and every challenge of life? At the risk of, of bordering on apicorsis, that's not always true. Life has not been smooth. There has been turbulence along the way. There has been loss, there has been suffering. We do go through tragedy. What's the chizik, what's the encouragement we're giving ourselves? And then we turn to Hashem, Va'al Hashem the way the Vilna Gon understands those words is not a tefillah, not a prayer, please don't abandon us, but it's actually a statement of confidence. We're saying, because we look back in our history, and we've seen and we've experienced you standing side by side with us, we know you will never abandon us. But life hasn't always been smooth. So I think the, the idea in Nishmas is we're not denying the reality. We're not denying hardship. We're not denying the suffering that we have been through. We're not, de not denying loss or, or tragedy. But we are saying through everything, through thick and thin, through ups and downs, we've always felt you by our side and we've always known, always known intuitively that you have been guiding and leading the way with your hashkacha and with your ava, with your rachamim and your chesed. We may not always perceive the chesed. We may not always appreciate the rachamim. But we know that even as we go through turbulence, even as we go through those trying times, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you have always been with me, and you always will be with me, and therefore we can say with conviction, I know you will never leave me. I know you've been there with me through thick and thin, and I know you'll continue to be there with me through thick and thin. What was Naomi saying? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, explains the Vilna Gon. She wasn't complaining, chas v'shalom. She was teaching the men and women of Eretz Yisrael a very important hashkafa. Explains the Vilna Gon that David Melech writes in Tehillim, Achtov v'chesed yerdefuni kol that only tov and chesed, goodness and chesed, they have pursued me all the days of my life. That language of pursue, to be a rodef, usually has a negative connotation. When you read this pasuk at face value, it sounds like David HaMelech is saying, Baruch Hashem, I've had only good and only chesed. Explains the Vilna Gon, what David HaMelech is teaching us, is that when a person only has good, only tov v'chesed, and life is too smooth, and things are going perfectly, and the finances are no problem, and relationships are going well, and I don't have the nisayon of amun and bitachon, and the, 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 the nisayon of, of stealing and cheating. So then that's redifa. Then the tov and the chesed are actually pursuing me, because that creates a situation where I may not feel the necessity to rely on Hashem. I may not feel that I have nothing in the world besides you, Hashem, because things are going so incredibly well right now. Baruch Hashem. 
The more we say Baruch Hashem, oftentimes that means the less we really need Hashem. So therefore it's only Tov Chesed, you're Defuni. That could be chasing after me, leading me into a situation of not having that strength of Amun and Bitachon. Adarabah, to the contrary, explains the Vilna Gon. And within these few lines, we get a glimpse into the, the Das Torah, the Torah perspective. How do we deal with being the victim? How do we not take the easy route out and blame others for our problems? Says the Vilna Gon, It's actually beneficial to go through suffering, to go through challenges in this world. Because they bring us closer to Avodas Hashem. Based on this principle, explains the Gra. David HaMelech tells us, The anguish of my heart, Herchivu, has expanded me. Meaning to say, through the tzorah, through the anguish, through the suffering, through the challenges, Herchivu, it's expanded my, my essence. I'm a different person, I'm a greater human being, because I've been put through the ringer. That's the koach yisurim, that's the potential power that lies within the suffering that we're going through. Kiheim yikrivu avodaso, because they bring us closer to Hashem. Tsoros levavi herchivu, they can expand me. They can expand my horizons in my service of God. Explains the Vilna Gon, that's what Nami was answering. She was not complaining. She wasn't saying, don't call me Nami, call me Mara. She was saying, you should realize you're looking at me as a devastated woman, as someone who had everything and now I have nothing. But you should know when I left, that's really when I had nothing. I was in a state of existence where I was not God conscious. I did not feel that dependence. I was not relying on Hashem in the same way. I was always a holy person. But I was nowhere near the person I am now. Mara, now life is bitter, but that's given me the greatest gift of all to transcend the prior limitations and to come closer to the Boreolam through the suffering. The only way that we get through any challenge in life, where we do not allow ourselves to play victim, no matter what the experience is or was, no matter what they said when I was younger, that really hurt me, that really traumatized me. I'm not going to deny that. And sometimes the best way of dealing with it is through an open conversation and going to therapy or speaking with a good friend and talking about it and sharing what happened and sharing your feelings. Often there is no restriction of Lush and Hara when it comes to issues of Rafua but I'm not going to allow myself to stay stuck in that mindset my whole life. I'm going to look at it as a positive force. I'm going to look back and say, Hashem, you've always been with me even when things were rough, but I've been able to grow. I'm a different human being because of the experience that I've been through. I'm a different Eved Hashem because of the Yisurim. Tzoros levavi herchivu, they've expanded me. I could help others. I could relate to others in a different way. I could feel their pain in a more vivid, in a more real way because I've been there as well. We have to be super careful not to cause someone to have the Nisayon of playing the victim and we have to be that much more careful not to play that card ourselves. I'm not the victim I could use everything in life as a way of growth, and I could look back with a sense of Hakara Satov. I'm never going to be grateful for tragedy. We're not on that madrega. And nor can we ever look at someone else and try to make them feel better about their own suffering by saying, hey, listen, you know what? You're going to grow from this. That's not a nechama. But to know deep down, personally, I can be transformed based on these yisurim, based on the struggles, it places it in a whole different perspective. I remember reading a study where they had people come into a room and they had water that was freezing cold. It wasn't quite freezing, it was 34 degrees. And it's very difficult to leave your entire arm in water that that's cold, that is that cold for any more than a few seconds. The challenge was as follows. They would ask participants, 
We want to see how long you could endure the pain, how long you could keep your entire arm in this ice-cold water until you have to take it out. When you have to, don't hesitate, take it out. They only allow them at the max five minutes because after five minutes there could be permanent damage. So don't try this at home. They had many people come in and out that day. Some put their arm in and immediately recoil. This is crazy, I can't do this. I don't know what you're talking about. Other people kept it in there for a little bit longer. And there were some people, there were a few individuals who were able to roll up their sleeve and have their arm in the ice cold water for the entire five minutes. And the researchers wanted to know what was the difference? What was that, that, that pivotal point between the people who could withstand the pain, the people who could keep on pushing themselves to keep their arm in that ice-cold water for longer, and those that would wimp out after a few seconds? One major finding that they discovered was that a lot depended on the past, on the history of the individuals that walked into that room. For the young men and women who pretty much had a serene existence, they grew up, they were not in poverty, they experienced no major loss up until this point. I think they're around college-age students. And now they're off to college for the first time and they're enjoying themselves. They've never really had to work hard a day in their life. They've always been supported. Everything was good. Oftentimes, they couldn't leave their arm in that water for that long. However, the other young men and women who had been through adversity, who had been through challenges, who had experienced loss, they had more of an ability, more of a power to keep their arm in that water longer. And when interviewing the people afterwards, they were asking them, what was crossing your mind as you were trying to do this? What were you thinking about as you had your hand in the freezing cold water? Those who took it out right away basically said, I was just thinking this whole thing is absurd. I can't do this. And those who were able to keep it in there for a while, they said, I was able to tap into my reservoir of, 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 of persistence, of tenacity. I've been through more than this before. And I was almost able to take the stress or the sorrow of the moment and channel it towards a strength. You're an entirely different human being when you've been through the adversity. We don't daven for these things. We daven a Kaddish Baruch who should shower us with blessing. But at least the tool enable, enabling us to get through the challenge is to realize, Tzoros levavi herchivu. I'm not going to play the victim. These past experiences have defined me and they've strengthened me and now I'm a different person because of them. We get back to the... Ben Ish Yisraelis. He had every reason in the world to feel resentful. He had every reason in the world to feel bitter and anti-authoritarian, to have resentment against God and Moshe Rabbeinu, and to get into a fight and then to eventually curse God psychologically, we could understand where he was coming from. He had no one in the world to support him. He had no family, he had no friends, nobody wanted him. B'nai Don will be judged for not doing the chesed and allowing him in. They for sure did the wrong thing. But we see from the psukim that this person was also judged quite harshly. Because with all of this and all of the baggage and all of the trauma that he himself went through, it's not an excuse for my behavior. It's not an excuse for what I say and what I do. It might be an added challenge that I don't have and I could be a different person, and I might have to work more on this particular area of finding myself and creating a healthy identity. But pain and trauma never allow me to do evil. This is the excuse that's given for the majority of evil that happens in the world. People feel and people write letters before doing terrible things. Nobody cares about me, everyone is evil. And therefore, I have every right to do whatever I want. I would never kill innocent people, but nobody's innocent. The mindset of the victim 
is the mindset that causes Ra. Amalek was the victim. Timna was the victim. Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, they should have let her in. They should have encouraged her to come into Kalal Yisrael. They should have been able to look past her deficiencies. That was their mistake. But that's no excuse for Amalek. Part and parcel of the celebration of Lagba Omer. We know from the famous Gemara that Rabbi Akiva lost thousands of his Talmidim. And we could relate to that Gemara more now than ever before, as there are so many of our brothers and sisters who have perished from this present day plague. And there are still so many people suffering. And the future is still uncertain. The great Simcha, though, is that he was able to pick himself up, go down, and find five new Talmidim. Now, most of the time we understand this Gemara, which we hear every year during Lagba Omer as although he went through so much, although he experienced so much pain, although everything he worked for his entire life, and we've spoken before about the life and the personal history of Rabbi Akiva, he went through the ringer, and now finally he has this great yeshiva with thousands of Talmidim keeping the Torah alive and sustaining God in the world, and now it's been devastated in a month's time. Even though he went through that, he was still able to find five new Talmidim and continue teaching Torah and continuing to build the Mesorah and Torah Shabal Peh. But the Gemara is deeper than that. According to this idea of the Vilna Gon, according to David Amelech, Soros Levavi Herchivu, it's the pain and the anguish that I've been through that expands me. It's not that Rabbi Akiva was able to get up even though he went through that crisis, even though he had that terrible loss where I'm sure he viewed every single student as his own child. He lost 24,000 children. It wasn't even though. It was because he went through that sorrow. It's because he was able to somehow weather that storm. He was a different human being. And it's Ganshayich, it's possible to say he would not have had the capacity to do what he did without experiencing that trauma, without going through that suffering beforehand. I want to end with a story by the famous Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsky. We know that he has been a tremendous expert in the field of addiction for many decades. And he says there was one summer day where he was outside his house in Pittsburgh watering his lawn. And he was feeling kind of down. The way he says it is, listen, I'm a human being like everybody else. I have good days, I have bad days. And I was a little bit depressed for whatever reason. I'm standing outside watering my lawn and two guys come up that I know from AA that I've been working with and they've been doing amazing things. And they say, hey doc, how are you doing? So usually, he would have responded, I'm doing fine, thank you, Baruch Hashem. However, Dr. Torsky said that I have a policy. When I'm working with people going through the program, I expect and I demand full honesty from them, and therefore, I have to give them that same level of integrity. So he said, I'll tell you, I feel lousy. I'm just not happy. Why not? I don't know, I'm just feeling down. They said, you have to come with us. There's a meeting tonight, 8 o'clock, an AA meeting. Come along with us. And he said, thank you, but no thank you. i got a lot going on. I'm just not in the mood. They came by his house at 8 p.m. They knocked on the door and they said, we're not giving you a choice. Rabbi, doctor, come along. So he went to the meeting. Now, ironically, the meeting was a gratitude meeting where everyone was expressing their, their feelings of, uh, of thanksgiving and many people were saying very similar things. For example, I've been sober now for six years. And ever since I've left the world of alcoholism, I've been a different person and I've had more joy in my life and I can be a father and I can be a husband. Many people said similar speeches. Rabbi Dr. Torsky said he was sitting there in the meeting and he was not getting much from this whatsoever. Okay. Good for you, that's wonderful. It wasn't speaking to him. 
Then one person got up and said, I've been sober now for four years, and I thought that would be a total game changer, but I'll tell you, these have been the worst four years of my life. My company downsized, I lost my job, I couldn't find another one, I fell behind in my mortgage payments, they foreclosed on my house, my wife left me, she got custody of the kids, and I've been totally devastated. But, he concluded, I can't believe that God brought me all this way only to walk out on me now. And therefore, I stay optimistic. Rabbi Dr. Ramtorsky said, hearing that one speech was worth the entire meeting. That was something he could relate to. He said when he was able to recite Nishmas, the Shabbos after going to that meeting, and he said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Al Tishenu he had in mind what this person shared at the AA conversation, that things may not have been easy. And yes, we do go through suffering. And no, we will never deny that there are hardships and turbulence in life. But I can say with confidence, you've been with me the whole time. You've been with us as a nation, and you've been with me personally through thick and thin, holding my hand, carrying me when I couldn't walk myself. And I know you're going to be with me in the future. The Simcha of Lagba Omer is Al Tichenu Lenetzach. Rabbi Akiva had that ability, he had that Gevura, through going, going through the suffering, gave him that strength of vision, and every year we celebrate, we can also tap into that same courage, that same strength, and utilize the trauma, utilize the baggage to channel it in the direction of uplifting and transcending prior limitations. We should all be Zoha with Siata Deshmaya to try our best never to put any other human being in the nisayon of playing a victim, and we ourselves should never fall into the trap of continuously being bitter and negative, because we don't have to be the victim. We could be the hero.